sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody, this is 2023, and we are back here on the Mountaineer Media Podcast. CJ, my man, what's up? Year three, four, what is it? I think it's year, it's year, I've, uh, it messes with our brains. I think it's season four, year like three, is what no, I've determined. It's season three. <laughs> no, because 2020, no, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. So this is the, no, we debunked this myth like in the recap episode. So we finished two and a half years. We're done with three seasons. Is that okay? And so we're on to season four. That's See? boom, confusing, but you <laughs> it's know, tough. it's always but, like that. It's like when you go on vacation, it's like four days, three nights. It's like, no, you can right. just say like four days, you know, you're, you're going to be gone on the fourth day. Don't confuse it, me with four years, three, three nights. Well, it's also at that time of the year. We're, we're on the other side of the time of year where it's past Christmas. It's past New Year's. Everybody was in that weird, like, do we hang out? Do I work? Do I drink? Do I lay around? What do I do kind of phase like the last two and a half weeks? But folks, we're back in West Virginia telling authentic stories. And CJ, this week's guest, I mean, what better way to start the year with one of the deeply, you know, passionate, authentic conversations uh, with an individual in West Virginia who is making remarkable change. And that's Tammy Jordan, the president of Fruits of Labor. Um, and I don't know, so I, just, I was kind of blown away by her and the impact that her program is having on the mountain state. Yeah, Fruits of Labor um, is a farm to table um, cafe. They have a couple of locations and Tammy Jordan is the founder, co-founder of this um, for-profit um, organization. But what's interesting about that is that they have, they use the term students um, who are working there that are coming out of a recovery program. And so trying to re-integrate um, themselves back into normal day normal life society and so that that model of for-profit but also being able to have this philanthropic very altruistic side of um being able to use people coming out of recovery welcoming welcoming them into their home more or less and giving them an opportunity to work and then we really get into the core of having them feel having these people feel fulfillment, you know, fulfilled and very wholesome and then give them hope and a reason to, you know, keep going and, and get up every day and come to work and enjoy what they're doing. Um, it's just all very heartwarming stuff. And at mm -hmm. the end of the day, at the very center all of, the, of this discussion is, yeah, it is about the opioid epidemic in West Virginia and its impact on our state. But it's like the adverse side of that. It's what people are doing to combat that or what they are doing to help reshape West Virginia, um, who is still struggling to kind of put an end to this crisis going on and what people are doing to just to help others. And so that's a very West Virginian theme at its core. And Tammy Jordan is just, uh, you know, she gives us a, a heartwarming um speech more or less this entire episode it's really just uh it's kind of a, a lecture from her about how important the work that she's doing is and I, I don't know i felt like it was a it was very just educational what she's doing and it was just yeah very wholesome conversation 
Well, it locks out the uh, the misconception that recovery ends like the process is like when someone like enters a program or they take their last drug and then that's it. When in reality, that's probably at best like the second quarter of their drug recovery journey, right? I mean that yes, that's the, hopefully the last time they maybe have abused that drug, but then ahead of them lies months, years, maybe decades worth of work, rehabilitation, yeah. you know, mental health counseling, and all this. So they and Tammy has managed to package this into a for-profit business cafe that has healthy food in West Virginia. So helping people, you know, improve their diets while at the same time also tackling a major issue, which is drug addiction, drug recovery efforts in the mountain state. So yeah, remarkable. Uh, We won't spoil too much more of it. It's a a great interview that we're about to get to. uh, But also, guys, you know, if you're listening to Mountaineer Media Podcast, hello, if this is the first time listening, we've got a flagship event coming up that we're going to, for the next six months, it's really what you're going to hear from us because we think this is going to be, I mean, we're calling it our flagship event, but this is a combination of everything that we speak about and we, we're trying to say, hey, look, we're not just all talk, we're going to put it into action, we're going to walk the walk in Canaan Valley, June 9th and 10th, a two-day event. Friday, come on to us, network, join us. You're going to be able to listen to myself and CJ sit on stage next to Brad Smith, the president of Marshall and the backer behind the Ascend West Virginia program. He's donated you know, tens of millions of dollars throughout philanthropic effort into West Virginia. And he's the president of Marshall. So he's actually working boots on the ground to improve the quality of West Virginia. He's going to sit on stage next to us and also next to Sarah Billard, the executive director of something called Vantage Ventures, which is an initiative out of the W, uh, John Chambers College, that's uh, helping businesses scale, um, reach terminal velocity, grow their business. And these are incredible entrepreneurs. She's the executive director of that. So we're going to sit on stage and you're going to be there networking, rubbing shoulders with these people, meeting people. If you're a small business owner, if you're just a passionate West Virginian, that Friday night in Canaan Valley in a big room, big ballroom, business casual, or have cocktails, food, meet people and just celebrate and make connections in the mountain state. Um, get your ticket to that right now on mountaineermedia.org. Um, and then if you are a golfer, I always like to say this is kind of a separate, but also, you know, it's the same event that very next morning, we're going to wake up and throw one of the most exciting, fun amateur golf tournaments in West Virginia. And you can enter a team in it, a four person team. We've sold 16 out of the 30 spots. So it, they're starting to uh, get down to it, guys. So if you're thinking about it, like, hey, I kind of want to play, go ahead, put your team in. Same, go to the same place, mountaineermedia.org, get your team in. And it's going to be a blast, an absolute blast. So, CJ, I know we're, um, we've been talking about it for, probably over six or seven months. I think we started talking about this in like March, actually, of last year of 2020, 2022. So now it's like game time, man. And I think we're we're all kind of firing on all cylinders now. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, And like you said, tickets available for the Friday night event, which is going to be a banger of a great time. You won't want to miss it, Canaan Valley. And you don't have to stay the night. You don't have to participate in the golf outing the next day, although we welcome you to do both of those things. But this is just an opportunity for everybody, you know, small business owners, artists, musicians. Um, you know, we want this to become the the who's who of, of you know, movers and shakers in West Virginia. And nonprofits. so nonprofits, exactly. So come up and spend the evening with us. And we're going to the, the kind of theme is investing in West Virginia's future. And that's everybody in attendance 
we are hoping has some form of what are you doing to invest in West Virginia's future? And that's kind of the, the theme of the keynote discussion that we're going to be having, but the overall theme of the Almost Heaven Classic as well. And so, yeah, come up Friday night. Tickets available now. If you want to golf, more than welcome to do that on Saturday as well. So we're going to have a great time. And Brad and Sarah, they're best friends. And they're, um, they've got this, uh, they, they know how to, it's like, they know how to dance around each other. I think they, they just, they both walk the walk and talk the talk and and they're both very good friends. And so it's going to be very, really good conversation that we're going to have with them. So can't wait for all of that. Almost have a classic June 9th and 10th of this year. Hard to believe, but yeah, this year. Um, a few other things, guys, you know, the deal we do, we do small business partnerships, go to loving We've partnered with them, but if you want, before you do that, if you go to our website, you can get yourself and unlock a 10% discount code, uh, that does join you to our amazing newsletter that we're revamping and continuing to add value to through discounts, partnerships, and cool information, facts, stories, and memories about almost heaven. Um, but they're awesome. They have the best West Virginia merchandise. I'm wearing the hat right now, the food of my people, which is a pepperoni roll proudly on my forehead on this beautiful hat. Um, but you can snag that and wear it as well and show your pride on it. So awesome business that Evan and Evan, two Evans, um, his wife is also named Evan Nicole. Shout out to them. Um, they're running an awesome business and so we're honored to partner with them. Um, so yeah, guys, I think CJ, if there's anything else we want to cover, I think that's uh, roughly it. And Thanks, guys, for tuning back in to the Mountaineer Media Podcast, and hopefully you enjoy this episode with Tammy Jordan. Let's hit it. All right, everybody, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. As always, today we have the wonderful Tammy Jordan. Tammy, thank you for joining us Joining us today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you all so, so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You said that you are on your farm this morning. Uh, it's a very large farm. Like, tell us a little bit about that. What's what does that look like? Uh, and, you know, just kind of get into the the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, where you're at right now and, and really where it all begins. Yeah, so um, my background is agricultural research. And so I worked for USDA for over a decade um, while simultaneously growing fruits of labor on the side. And uh, so my passion is agriculture. So we have a 218-acre farm affiliated with Fruits of Labor mm -hmm. that allows us to have mushrooms and orchard, small orchard systems and berries and then field production. But in 2023, we are adding mass production at our farm. So we will be expanding um, into, we, we have accomplished floriculture for many years, but we are expanding that production system. Um, we've been piloting maple syrup for about seven years now, and oh, so wow. that's going into a full production system, um, and we hope to have our first uh, bottled available to the public maple syrup in 2024. So that's super exciting. And then we have high tunnels and greenhouses all going in this year. So it's really uh, last year was growing um, our multiple business locations to serve different communities. This year is all about um, nurturing those communities and those locations while also simultaneously expanding our agricultural center. What is the key to good maple syrup? Well, most of it is all about um, your temperatures outside and how we cannot control that. Um, so, so much about that. <laughs> it's is, a pretty active climate in West Virginia. You never know what you're going to get. 
Absolutely. Those production models, typically you're going to run for about 40 days a year. And you just want to make sure that um, your lines are clean and that your, your boiling is efficient and um, that you keep everything sanitary. And that's going to help with the flavor of the maple syrup as well. Now I'm picturing like, is it just literally tapped on the tree? Is that what I'm picturing? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I don't quite comprehend like, yeah. What do you add things like artificial sugar after that? Like no. you get it out of the tree and then do you even, yeah. How do you tap the tree? Like what, how does this work? Absolutely. So the tap goes into the tree and then um, it's attached to tubing and you can attach that to vacuum pumps if you want so that it keeps a vacuum on it and will pull the, pull the sap out. And so sap will be between um, like one and a half and three percent sugar content. And so um, we are putting in reverse osmosis systems that will remove the majority mm -hmm. of the water content prior to the boiling because that's a lot of energy that's wasted. So we will have pure water as a, as a waste product. And so that pure water is going to be saved to um, actually water all of our greenhouses and high tunnels. So it's a perfect reuse for that while everything else goes into a boiler system so that you're able to actually boil the sap down um, to where you produce your maple syrup product and then mm. bottle that, label it and ship it to the customer. It's all my pancakes. Yeah. Right very, <laughs> very little, very little waste though. I mean, it's everything from beginning to end. You're using pretty much everything. Absolutely. Huh. So interesting. We didn't mean to jump into the maple syrup okay. discussion this morning, That's but that okay. was where we went. <laughs> well, we maple syrup season is getting ready to start. So it's a perfect time to communicate about maple syrup and dream of like brioche French toast that would come out there of our uh, bakery. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So what about, do you have like a bottle design? What's it going to look like? Do you have like how do you how do you you get the syrup and, and how do you what's the that's the fun part after that right? <laughs> Absolutely. So um, all of our our logo will be going on the the bottles and everything like that. Um, we have a couple bottles that we really like, and so we're looking at those right now. Even though we're a year out, I mean we don't even need bottles for a year. So um, it's it's just starting now creating the packaging and. Um, of course, we'll be carrying these in our, our four locations across the, um, the region so that our customers can, can have that maple syrup. Yeah, that's awesome. And let me, let me back up a little bit and help the audience. because I think we've, I've been studying and reading up on you and in, in the work of fruits of labor, but take, maybe take me back if you will. It's 2008, right? The world is on the cusp of a global financial crisis. Maybe if, if not quite yet in 2008, so you didn't know what 2009, 2010 was about to happen. You're working at the USDA. You leave your job doing research, agricultural research to, you know, dedicate full time to fruits of labor. What made you make that decision? And can you remember what that felt like making that huge kind of leap of faith into what it, you know, now that you've grown fruits of labor, I'm sure you look back, it's, of course, it was worth it. But in the moment, what were some of those feelings that you had leaning into this full time? Yeah, absolutely. So we started Fruits of Labor in 2001. So I was blessed to be able to grow it alongside of a full-time job. And many entrepreneurs will start that way. It about kills you doing it um, because as the business is growing, you're stretched in a couple different areas. But at that point, it was either continue forward with Fruits of Labor because um, I was having to take vacation days um, mm -hmm. to utilize or it was to stay full-time with USDA. And so that was really the choice between 
um, where would I go next? And my heart um, was so driven towards expanding and seeing that growth. And so our very first commercial kitchen was built at Dawson, which we still utilize today. And um, that really, exactly like you said, it was it was a beautiful time to like build. We had just had some of the largest weddings um, that we had ever produced right in a row. I was able to tuck away my salary for a year. So like that was one of the key um, indicators of this is a good time, but to not be able to see what was coming ahead, um, which I can tell you was quite catastrophic for our company, especially with it being so new. And, um, you know, you just weather through through those difficult times and it starts to define what do you not know? That's number right. one. What do you need to learn and how does that change need to uh, be imparted within your company? And it's really an amazing journey um, when you leave security of a federal position that you think, my gosh, I could have retired from there. But in the same timing, um, it was about three years after I left that that location actually was closed. And so my job would have been lost hmm. from a federal wow, so you position. Yeah. Off. Wow. And so it was, you know, sometimes we are um, rescued out of storms that we can't see ahead while we are entering storms that we can't imagine. Mm. And so it's really looking back and seeing um, how, how are we resilient and how do we respond to catastrophic things? Because either direction I would have gone of not taking um, on fruits of labor full time, I would have been saved from a recession. But a few years later, I would have had to have looked for a full time job in, in industry. Mm. So either way would have been a change and a challenge. And I'm so glad now that my choice was fruits of labor. Looking back, even on the other challenges that we've seen uh, in the years since then. Well, your heart was in the right place. It's something that you wanted to do then. You chased that dream. And here, more than a decade after, well, two decades, nearly since the beginning, 2001, you know, I, I think you're really seeing... Uh, the fruits of your labor, not the, no pun intended, but, uh, you know, what, what lessons did you feel like you did learn through that storm that maybe readied you for the next one, or even where you guys are at today, multiple locations growing by the day and, you know, by all indication is still, um, you know, growing, 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 and, and just continuing to, to be ultra successful. Absolutely. I think that the first time around your, your first response is, oh my goodness, I want to quit. I want to escape. I don't want to go through this. Um, and then when, when I saw that survival is possible and then reaching that place of what can happen, what can grow out of this. And during that dark um, struggle of the recession and that time in my life, um, that was when I had visited Alderson Prison and uh, met with someone that I knew just to visit. And um, the idea of assisting individuals uh, coming out of prison was really the first vision that I had. That was my heart. It was a great leap of faith of just saying, okay, God, what do you want to do with my life? And it was connecting. Um, that was the very first time 
that mission started to become connected with the actual industry. And so being able to look at purpose really helped drive me to that next step and get through that really incredibly challenging time. And so um, right after that, I had spent like about three years um, just studying, researching. That's, that's what I love to do. So it's like researching what do we have to offer women coming out of prison? And that was the concept. And um, 11 years ago, we launched our recovery program. We hired um, our executive chef at that time, which is who is still with us today. And so that was just an amazing situation. We were still at Dawson and a year into it, we knew we had to grow into a cafe to be able to offer employment. So it wasn't enough to hire train and to offer training and education. That's wonderful, but we needed to take it to the next step. And so um, our journey did not start with Alderson Prison. Um, it actually started with drug courts in Greenbrier County. We had 10 amazing women show up for the first training program and stay with us. And the transformation that happened during that time, not only in them, but also in us. Um, it's empowering, it's um, providing purpose, it's showing them that there's hope and there's opportunity. So all the things that had just came out of were used to yeah. impart the very same thing is you're going to survive, you're going to grow, and one day you're going to look back and be like, I'm, I'm thriving in this yeah. situation. Just incredible. I mean, I don't think it's, it's definitely not common and I don't cer certainly can't think of a, a easy reference thing. Like you're a for-profit business, but incorporated inside of that is this remarkable, like philanthropic slash like community restorative drug, you know, like recovery program, if you will, inside of a for-profit business. So it, it's, you're stimulating the economy, providing goods and services to a local area, but then also saving, you could quite literally say saving the lives of individuals that are, you know, on the transition out of a battle that they've been facing, right? Like reading some of the statistics, 50% of drug court participants achieve long-term coverage. So that means one out of two actually slip back into it. 90% of the participants that come through your program make it to the other side. I mean, that it's flat out remarkable. Has anybody like contacted you? Like how closely have you worked with like, are people studying this model? Cause it, it seems like such an, an amazing feat that you have accomplished and you should be extremely proud of it. But I'm just curious, like in West Virginia with the drug addiction problems that we know we have, like, are you starting to see other groups asking you like, Hey, wait a second. Like, how are you doing that? Like, how's yeah. that working and what yeah. can they learn maybe from it? Absolutely. So um, we we actually um, we jump ahead almost a decade. Um, we we are one of we are sought out on a regular basis um, nationally. Um, wow. And now it has reached to international levels of our model is actually being studied at an international level right now. Hmm. Um, so it's, you know, one of the things is that we could not keep up with the request to come and tour and to come and listen <laughs> and be part of it, nor can we be the solution to every single community in right. our state. And so um, we we had our, our next feat that we ended up having to go through was we had decided to move 
um, and open a cafe in Raynell in uh, 2014. And so from that, um, I had given up, I had planned on adding on to our Dawson location and having this quaint little little open space and things that we had wanted there. And um, Raynell was an available opportunity and it wasn't specifically what I wanted. Um, it was certainly at that time a town that was really struggling with addiction issues. And, um, so, but that was where we were called truly, definitely, I can say absolutely a calling to go to that community. And I'm so glad that we did. But in 2016, two years after moving in, we had the catastrophic flood. Our building yeah. had never seen water. We were completely wiped out. Oh and so, gosh. you know, you draw back from 2009 and you're like, okay, we survived that. How are we going to survive this? And yeah. so we had no flood insurance um, because the, the building was outside of that flood zone. Um, so that was my very first question when I walked into that building. Are you in the flood zone? No, okay. we're not in the flood. I mean, you know, it's like that was top of my mind. But yet wow. here we were two years later. So that completely wiped us out. And I say that because 2017, um, so late part of 2016 we started offering monthly free meals to the community come in learn about the recovery of the town not recovery wow. but the recovery of the town, the town. Yeah. and so we would host um, along with other organizations that partnered with us these monthly coming and gatherings just come in because everybody's still in this state of shock we had one of the um, highest death rates in our county um, and so there was a lot of loss. There was a lot of grief. There were um, homes that were destroyed. I missed every single business was impacted um, with water, if not completely destroyed. Um, so it was just this horrific transition. But out of that came um, national insight to Raynell. So we were on the news constantly over a national level, um, volunteers were coming in, tractor trailer loads were rolling in. And so these were just opportunities to share our vision, our mission and our calling to the community, but also abroad. And then from there, 2017, we had a full community. We had, um, uh, the town of Raynell had won EPA's local um, food, local places, local foods, I'm probably butchering that right now, but um, it was bringing the community together to see where we wanted to go next and making a plan forward. And out of that came a phrase um, that Raynell would become a community of healing. And so I took that phrase for three years. Again, we're getting peppered all the time. How are you doing this program? How is this working? And um, I took that and in 2020 wrote an ARC grant for Fruits of Labor's Communities of Healing. And um, I'm sorry. Uh, it's amazing to see how many business owners across our state want to be invested in someone's lives that's struggling. And so it was fully focused on entrepreneurial startup businesses, business owners, or nonprofits that wanted to add a social enterprise. We partner with the West Virginia Hive and Wright Venture Services and um, Region 4 Economic Development and Seed Sower, which is a recovery housing for women that houses all of our students. And so it's this amazing partnership coming together. We've had over 150 businesses come through that program. Oh my gosh. We've had 30 go through intensive cohort programming. I 
open up Fruits of Labor's for-profit model that, you know, is the, the strange the strange part in the room, I open yeah. up my books, I open up our model, hmm. and I say, I want to see people save lives. Because if every business in the state of West Virginia that could would hire one person in recovery, where would we be in a year? Where would we be in five years? And so it's not about saying this is your whole model. You've got to shift everything and make everything like what we do. It's about saying, could you do one? Could you yeah. offer one or could you create a recovery friendly work culture in your organization maybe you're not intentionally hiring someone in recovery but you're opening up the door to talk about recovery within the walls of your business so that there may be people that are in recovery that you've already hired and you don't know anything mm. about that so it's yeah. opening up that dialogue and making it possible to communicate about recovery wow yeah i mean it's just simply it's remarkable, Tammy. I mean, it, it's it's truly remarkable. And you're right. I mean, a business might be unintentionally excluding somebody who's in recovery, not because of like a written policy, but because of it's just like not a part of the culture or not proactively embraced to say, hey, like, the stigma. It, like we're aware of this problem. It's okay. We're going to work through it and we're going to work with you yeah. on building a better future. Like that statement alone would change somebody's life. And like you said, if every business just had that conversation and did hire one person, like, yeah, like you said, look where we'd be. Yeah. Well, and we all know somebody that's been, uh, you know, Im impacted, afflicted with some form of drug addiction that has maybe pushed them down this hole of just, you know, going in the wrong direction of life and, and looking for a lifeline. And if anybody can help throw that lifeline to help them more times than not, you would hope that somebody's willing to do that. But you guys have just proven that it, you can do that successfully and and Absolutely. really just reshape lives and yeah i, I don't know it's that it's... hope is possible um and it's also speaking the truth into the lives of business owners that it's not perfect you are going to have challenges you will have people relapse there will pe be people that overdose over time and your hearts will be broken you're not doing something wrong as a business owner you are just navigating the landscape as best as possible. But sometimes if you don't have that voice that's been there and that's gone through it, you feel like a failure as a business owner because the first person you tried to reach out to, um, that it didn't work. Um, so Workforce West Virginia is, has a powerful program um, that's called Empowered Employment. Um, and so businesses can actually bring someone in 32 hours a week for about 26 weeks. So we partner with them in this programming um, of paid employment so that you as a business owner don't have them on your payroll. You're able to just start that process. So we go through that with many of our students and then um, we are now promoting them um, as they graduate to call our next phase of station supervisors. So they come onto our payroll at that point and they're starting into their management journey. And so here's individuals that six months before may have just been coming out of prison, may have just mm -hmm. been coming off the streets. And now they have progressed in the last um, six to eight months to a place that they are now teaching, training and supervising the next group of individuals coming through our program. It's so powerful. We're at across the board, we're at almost 80% student run in all of our locations. We have some that are higher than that and some that are a touch lower, but on average, 
80% of the employees are in recovery or at risk youth that are in our addiction prevention program. And so to take that risk and to then be able to speak that into businesses is a really powerful thing because we're not asking them to go at that level. Yeah. And I think you've, what you've done is again, proven that this is a model that works. I think the fear and maybe why more companies are timid to kind of dip their toe in, you know, being a solution for recovering addicts is that something is going to go terribly wrong. Somebody's going to steal money, mess up the product, uh, you know, and there is a level of stigma, uh, you know, that this stigma that does need to be kind of removed. But I mean, the, the reality is I think people are afraid because they think they're going to get burned. You know, has that happened to you? Have you been burned? Have you ever regretted maybe like, how oh, that was a bad decision or maybe this isn't quite what we should be doing because it's, 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 it's hard. I mean, it's hard. And to say anything other than that, I think would be, you'd be lying to yourself because it is a difficult decision to do. Or to Absolutely. Make. Um, we have found over the years, I mean, it's, it can be disappointing if someone does relapse, but what we are finding is that the relapse is um, less intense typically for that individual they come back to a place of recovery more quickly, having had that experience at Fruits of Labor. And we get this call or email or message yeah. that says, hey, I just got a job again and yeah. I'm in industry and I'm, or I got my kids back or I've been able to um, complete this college uh, curriculum or I've just certified um, in nursing industry and it can be anything like that so what i would say is that um, while it feels like it's up and down from time to time because we can have amazing success in one one part and then we can have someone that has slipped out of our reach again but what we do is we hold our hands out we keep in contact with them for as long as they will listen and respond back um, and we just keep saying when are you coming back we're waiting we're waiting. But we have, um, we really have entered into this of your time and space here is very valuable to us. And so we have given them purpose. It's not just about, let me fill in time with you. It's actually, yeah. I'm relying upon you. And yeah. that can be very frightening in the beginning. But when you start seeing, um, their talents unfold, their hope in themselves, their belief in themselves unfold and come back to that space of reality of they should be proud of where they are and where they're going because they're on a great track forward. Um, then it makes that, that those challenges really unfold differently in our in our concepts of how the program is working. And so they dig in deeper uh, to a space of where they are belonging somewhere and they are loved and treasured in that space. And so that starts creating an environment that is, you know, yes, you may disappoint um, if you relapse. It's, it is going to be heartbreaking. We're going to cry. We're all going to sit around and cry and weep and be worried that you have breath to come back to us. But we're also simultaneously reaching out to parents, reaching out to that person and saying, hey, we're waiting on you. You're not too far gone. We're waiting. Yeah. And yeah. we've watched even in this last year that happen. And it's a remarkable story for this individual that did have that um, success 
story of relapse, coming back, relapse again, coming back, and now is in station supervisor situation. And it's a remarkable journey. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it's amazing. I mean, the more that we we hear from you and, and the more that you can just candidly share your take on things, because it's not that you're just selling jobs for people coming out of recovery, you're selling truly hope and you're giving fulfillment. I mean, people are feeling wholesome. It sounds like from, you know, what you guys are being able to provide. So that, that is a, a, a very human emotion that you can't feel all the time. And it's one thing to, yeah, just come in and clock in and say, yeah, I'm out of recovery. I have a job, whatever, but to feel like you're actually meaningful in the community around you and that people are actually making you feel inspired to do your work. That's not easy to sell. That's not easy to, to come by or find. And uh, just, it, it is remarkable. And so just another pat on the back to you guys for even doing that. And I'm sure that's why you see so many success stories outweigh the bad stories. Well, we see so much um, growth in our students and it is, it's their hard work. It's not ours. We are providing an environment. It is their hard work of um, embracing the changes that they have to make because that's it's a steep curve of change. And yeah. all of us are not equipped to be like, yay, we're changing again. It's, yeah. it's really it's really about saying, where are you? But what we have found is some of the most talented, creative, compassionate yeah. individuals yeah are in recovery and it's not saying that they cannot be found elsewhere but they are our students are wanting a chance they are in a place they want a chance and when given that their hard work pays off in great dividends not only to the community being received by someone i mean you know you're you're when you're coming into our our cafes and sitting down knowing that you're being served by someone in recovery and they're sitting there uplifting you in your journey and I have received emails and notes from people that said oh my gosh this particular person or that particular person I was having a bad day this is what they did <laughs> and then to put up. it in yeah. perspective that this person just came out of jail or has an ankle monitor or you know has lost their children and they're uplifting our customers you talk about organic stigma reduction it yeah. happens every single day organically. And then when mm. you can see that light and life coming back into their life, on because you come every week and you start seeing their growth, then, then our customers are hugging them, patting them on the hand and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. Well, that lights up their life. They come back into the kitchen. It's like, oh, this woman just told me that she was proud of me. She doesn't even know me. Yeah. And it could be after a court case that they didn't get their children back, but some woman is coming in and saying, I'm proud of you. Yeah. And so it collides in this space that we feel is very sacred and we take it very seriously because that's the transformation that needs to happen. Tammy, I, I know people are listening just based on numbers. And like we said, like of how much, you know, drug addiction, drug uh, recovery is impacted in this state. Someone's listening that has a friend, family member, or they themselves is it, it going through exactly this. What would you say to them if they're attempting to get a job or they're applying for, you know, they're trying to come out of the, like trying to get on the right foot. They're trying to come out of this. Um, 
do they, when they're talking with employers, is it wise for them to bring it up to the employers? Have you found that it's successful to them to like confront it with that sort of thing? Or do you kind of keep it like a lower profile as you go through an application process and then maybe down the road, bring it up to like HR, but like, have you had any cases or advice where if people are listening to this and, you know, maybe it's not directly through your, like a program like yours, that's clearly would welcome them and embrace them, but they're just trying to get a job in West Virginia, but are dealing with the stigma and the ramifications of kind of their journey. What would you say to them is like the best way to kind of go on that journey, the new journey? Well, I tell you, my first thought is run to workforce, run, Mm -hmm. don't walk, run. There are workforce organizations all across the state of West Virginia that serve individuals in recovery. And so what happens, they can go through um, the empowered employment programming and see if they qualify. If they don't, workforce has connected deeply. And I can speak from region one, which is what we're in. They've Mm -hmm. connected deeply with employers that are very proactive about hiring individuals in recovery. So it's like you have this whole consulting team that's working to try to get you a job somewhere. So that's like, number one, go to the resources, um, go to drug courts. If you're part of the court system, go to your day report and say, listen, I'm looking for a job because day reports are also um, usually deeply connected into organizations that would accept someone in recovery. What I would say to the individual is keep trying. Um, Sometimes I've had, I had a student that said um, to me, um, I don't have my teeth yet. And she's been waiting a year. I don't have my teeth yet. And people don't want to hire me because of how I look. So it can come in many different forms. Um, It's not necessarily because of a past track record. It may be because of a present physical situation. And so um, what I would say is that we have found as a business owner, we have found our customers. um, We've watched individuals go through that and they get their teeth And that beautiful smile comes back and our customers go up to them and say, oh my goodness, your smile is beautiful. You look beautiful. And so our customers are in a zone that they're not afraid to comment on the obvious in a complimentary way. And so Mm -hmm. it's really looking at what are we selling from our businesses? What are we selling? Are we selling a particular look or are we selling an experience? And the experience is joy that comes. The one I'm thinking of right now is pure joy that comes out of her. And it's like that part is taken care of cosmetically at some point in the future. But today her joy is still pouring out of her, not only to others in our organization, but to our customers. And I just told her, I said, I see the joy that's coming out of you, not what is missing in your smile. Mm -hmm. And one day that smile will be full. And so to business owners, don't be afraid um, to instill a chance in someone that may not look exactly like what your other employees look like, but let them shine in in their joy and cultivate them, mentor them, 
be a champion for them, just as you are for all of your other's employees. This is how we should be doing business across the board, regardless of if someone's in recovery. If you have a healthy work culture, you are going to be able to support someone in recovery. It's just so heartbreaking too, because you think that you you are talking about or speaking about one person in particular, but I'm sure that that is across the board. I mean, most people have that inner joy that maybe has just been stuffed into a tight, small box for so long. And and they're just waiting for an opportunity to, to kind of express themselves again, because they've been told, no, you're wrong for so long. No, 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 bad, bad, bad. And they're just looking for somebody to finally say, no, you're doing the right thing. Yes. Keep going, keep doing what you're doing. And it got it's 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 really sad just to think that there are probably there are way more people out there saying no than there are people saying yes. And, and well, it's, there are it's also hard. restrictions within companies that they cannot always say yes. Um, you know, maybe a past felony is is a no for their policy. Yeah. And so we have to honor that as well. We have to honor um, the business side. And I'm also an advocate for that of Mm -hmm. saying your business has to be in a healthy state. Um, That's why we've partnered with communities of healing with um, West Virginia Hive and Right Venture Services, because it's all about the health of your business. Because if you only focus on your mission, you're going to tank your business. If you only focus on your business, you'll tank your mission. It's a fine line between mission and margin. And so that's why it's the whole group coming together and saying, what's right for your organization? Because what's right for mine may not be what's right for someone else's. But it is like thinking, okay, how could I help this person maybe get to a dentist or how could I help that situation? So it's not always the immediate no. It's like, what part do I play in this? And what do what part do I play in articulating this to my customers? And am I willing to do that? Maybe that bridge is too, too, you know, the gap may be too large to bridge it. And that's okay. There will be someone else that maybe that gap's not as large and you're able to say yes at that time. Amy, I always like to ask, what do you, as we head into a new year, everyone feels refreshed. Like, what are you most optimistic about for this new year of growth? I know you mentioned possibly new location. Of course, we got the the maple syrup to look forward to coming. But what are what are some of the big things that's kind of on your radar that as you continue to grow uh, your your program? Yeah. So, um, looking back to last year, we grew eight times the number of students served in a year eight times. It's huge. Like we couldn't, I couldn't even believe it when I added up all the numbers. (laughs) So our hope is that um, we are having 25 students per 12 week semester. Um, So that would be growing an additional 20 served in the course of a year. Um, And so having that nurturing time of all of our communities that we're in, we were in incredibly steep growth. And so now this year is like, Realigning, getting um, understanding of what's nurturing to each community and really digging in at that level while simultaneously adding another huge chunk. Um, But it's really about coming back to the basics. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like high level growth, high level growth. You can't stay there. That's not that's not sustainable um, for the health of your team. You have to have then a nurturing period and then jump back into to that growth period. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that nurturing will 
um, grow into and super excited about these station supervisors. So this is a new position for us. And oh my goodness, like it's like music when you walk into it. It's just watching them. I've got one student that was just with us six months ago standing beside of another student that's only been with us two or three months or brand new. And they're like, Hey, this is, this is how you do this. This is what, and they're like coaching them the whole time. And so it's just, that's amazing to watch. Yeah. Well, the work that you guys are doing head to toe is amazing. And uh, thank you for what you do and appreciate the time to talk with us this morning as well. And, and uh, we'll vocalize your message and, and herald you guys as, as champs of, of, uh, success and, and what you guys are doing. So thanks for, thanks for everything. What you're doing in West Virginia, it really is great stuff. And thanks again for talking to us today. Amy, where can people find you? Where can they find you? Go ahead. So people listening, can they help? Can they contribute? Can they donate? Is there anything that they can be a part of it in any way? Yeah. If they'll reach out to, um, fruits of labor, Inc at hotmail.com that gets straight to me and they can just connect right there. Um, and we can get them plugged in into whatever capacity that we're able to at that time. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Just want to make sure. Yeah. Thank you. I'm just echoing what CJ said. I mean, Tammy, you're, uh, exactly the, like the kind of people that we like to shine light on here on the podcast. I mean, you exemplify the very best attributes of West Virginia, uh, of loving your neighbor, of service, of resiliency, of resourcefulness. So, yeah, I mean, tremendously honored to have you on the podcast, and we we wish you the best in 2023. Yep. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your all's opportunity and time.